Okay, welcome to the next phase, Tropical Paradise. And we're just grateful to have you here. We're grateful. Wow, we, there's a view. We're looking out over a beautiful lake view as we're watching you. So you're, you're in a beautiful setting. But we're not concerned with the frame. We're concerned with the picture in the middle. Even though the frame has lots of water and green, we love the f smiling faces in this picture. And, and how we seem to come to this place too was just, it was very given by spirit. Maybe Lisa, you can share a bit about you. Lisa was out driving, 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 and then all of a sudden she heard, turn left. Yeah, we lived here for many years, and you know we we always are in big prayer about when we have these events to be shown what what you know to be used and and you know when we're create it feels like a creative process whenever we come into these events. We're told the name, we're just given everything for every event, and I was just driving back from Chapala and just had a big session over there, and all of a sudden I'm driving, just heading back to the temple, and I heard, turn left. And I, you know, and it wasn't that loud, and I thought, what, did, what do you mean, turn left? And it said, turn left! And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to turn left. And so I turn left, and then I'm driving down here, I thought, well, this seems ridiculous, because this hotel here, I don't know if you guys seen it on your way down, way down is it looks like a haunted house motel and the lights flashing it looks like something out of a movie and i thought what the heck am i doing down this road and then what was beautiful is because we've lived here for a while too and you can't actually access the lake you know it's hard to get straight to the lake i'm like wow you could get right to the lake here but then i couldn't go any further and then i made a right and here i saw this place and yeah, it just feels like such an honor. I couldn't even believe it because, you know, there's nothing like this around here. I mean, we're, it's, you know, it, it's quiet. It's like we're in Hawaii, actually. And I just said to Jackie, Jackie said, wow, I would just love this to be in our garden. And when I came in here, there were actually all these gardeners working around. And I thought, wow, this is our garden that we don't even, you know, we don't own anything. It's just given to us. So it's this temporary garden where they're working on our garden for us. And so they were preparing the whole time, basically, I think, till last week, preparing for this space. So I just feel so grateful just for all of us to be in this gift. It's like we didn't have to do anything. Usually we build and prepare things. And so this was just totally given to all of us. So I feel really grateful about that. It's like my happy dream retreat center or something just showed up. It's just staying in the new, letting everything be revealed, and then it's revealed, and then it's revealed without without a sense of efforting to, to try to figure out what are we going to do. You know, it's more of just being in the prayer and then letting things show up, and they show up, and they keep showing up. The first time we came here, we kind of went through here, I think it was... Uh, Francis and Lisa and I, we, we just kind of wandered through with like all the gardeners here. And then the second time I came here, we met this guy, and he was a, such a sweet, adorable man who had originally planned on 
doing uh, a garden and a restaurant and kind of thing on the other side. And then he it became involved with this place. And then he went on to say, oh, if you do more retreats down here, we have like houses too uh, that are in the area that are beautiful houses to rent depending on how many people. Six, so, houses. six houses. Six houses. And we got to see those, and we thought, because we used to, I remember with Jackie, when we were down in uh, Noosa, we would have townhouses. We would have a group of people in a townhouse, and then a group in another townhouse and another, and we would do these big retreats, sometimes 40, 50 or more people with everybody in townhouses. And so it just seems to just show up, and it, it it's never like a repetition. We're never trying to repeat something. It's just like, what's coming in this time? Just like it seems to be a configuration of the mind, whoever's supposed to be here is here. Whatever lessons need to be learned are are given, and it's it's trusting in the natural flow of the spirit instead of trying to direct it, because that's where the frustrations come in when you try to direct the flow, trying to direct the river. So, for this afternoon, it was an amazing. Thank you all for an amazing experience. That was so much fun for me today. I had so much fun, and it, it was, yeah, we, we were all in that together. That was amazing. <laughs> I always say, when I see a movie, it's for the first time, and believe me, I'm like watching along with you and listening to the commentary, and just, I'm as blown away as everybody, because it's such a strong, vibrant feeling. And Swaba will start us off today... Um, with a couple songs. Now, the first song, I have to tell you, I've been traveling around for like 20 some, 27 years or something like that. And one of the, I've always, Jesus has sent singer songwriters in all these years. Way back in the early 90s, I had Donna Marie Carey. Some of you might have heard of Donna Marie Carey. She's an amazing singer from Kentucky. And then there's been singers and songwriters. And and even now among the group, Emily's starting to receive songs. Suava's receiving songs. You know, we're moving in the, the music you listen to on the boat. There was a, a committee that had put together some of those songs. Jason, even when... Kenneth's uh, computer went down. They still kept going and going. And um, one of the singer-songwriters I travel with was a woman named Resta, and she received songs from the angels. And one time I was at an event, and it was like a three-hour event, and she was there traveling with me. She disappeared during the event, and everything we talked about, the angels put into a song covering all the themes of what I was talking about. She was off in a bedroom and taking down the song from the angels, and she pops out for the last 10 minutes, and she says, I got a song from the angels, and everybody oohs and ahs because it's everything we've talked about, like the dessert cards. You know, you get those where you have a discussion, and then you go around the room, and oh, 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 and Jesus is like making his point. Well, we have to say Steve had a request at the beginning, and he said, I would love it if you would, we were talking about thank you and gratitude, and he requested a song called Ditto, write a song called Ditto. Well, Swava has received Ditto, 
And here we are. We're not even at the end of the retreat, and Ditto has already come in. So, you want to share yeah. anything? Well, it came in already yesterday. Yeah, I just you reminded me yesterday. Remember Ditto? And I oh yeah. And then I went back home to the temple, and I was so inspired. And I just went into this, I couldn't stop. So, yeah, so it just came in like, I don't know, hour and a half it was finished. So, yeah, the song for you. In a 
All I can say is little my friend Thank you for leading me home Thank you for leading me home Thank you for leading me home I didn't have time to play it through so many times, but <laughs> okay. Hmm. And then following up on our great experience with the movie, um, yes, Rob, I picked a song that she's written recently called "Eternal" because that's really the the point of of these sessions, these discussions, is to open the mind to experience the eternal. And we do that through opening to the holy instant, this moment, and giving ourselves fully over to the holy instant. And that involves trust that everything will be taken care of perfectly, and that all you are required to do is give your willingness and devotion to the holy instant, and then everything is given very naturally. Like we were talking about earlier, there's not a sense of having to figure it out, make it happen, um, work it out. You know, so much of energy is spent on trying to work things out. And, and the decisions seem like they're real decisions, but they're actually given decisions where you're deciding with the Holy Spirit. So, when you get into this quantum flow of trust, really underneath the quantum flow of trust is a prayer. And the prayer is, Holy Spirit, decide for God for me. See how light that is? It, it takes off the pressure of trying to personally figure it out. The prayer in your heart is just decide for God for me. Holy Spirit, decide for God for me, and then what appears is what is given. And you only can feel gratitude for that. You don't have to feel pride, because <laughs> there was no person that brought that around. It's just gratitude for what is given. So this song is called Eternal. Eternal. Yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> child 
to continue on from that experience we had with the movie and continue on deepening, deepening, ever deepening into that experience. 
because all problems arise from the belief in hypothetical thinking and hypothetical thinking is the belief that you can separate a part or an aspect out from the whole, from the whole of the cosmos. You can separate it out and then you can try to solve a problem by removing it from the situation or trying to solve it elsewhere. But the problem of, of the ego is not solved anywhere except in the mind. And what I mean by that is when you say common things like we talk about in the human condition, like I have financial issues or I have relationship issues or I have health issues or I have issues that with the way the politics are in the country or the world, you're trying to separate out something from the mind and describe it as a problem area. But that problem area always relates to the personal perspective. It's always coming from a personality perspective, whether it's medical issues, p political, environmental, whatever. And the teachings that I'm sharing and the teachings that the workbook are, of the Course are sharing is that, that you have to bring the problem and the solution together. It will not be resolved apart. And so that's why I frequently said, uh, like borrowing from the 12-step uh, tradition, you know, hi, my name's so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic, or the introduction that people give in that, that, you know, you could honestly come to a place of saying, hi, my name is so-and-so and I have a perceptual problem. Because the problem really isn't alcoholism or drugs or relationships or issues with the environment or all the many panorama of problems that seem to be the, the human condition, it is a perceptual problem. And you can't really accept the correction from the Holy Spirit until you admit that you have a perceptual problem. And just like in 12-steps programs, until you admit you have a problem, if you're in denial of the problem, then you have no hope of accepting the help or the solution. And similarly on the spiritual journey, if you insist that you have separate personal problems, that's just an arrogant way of saying, I know who I am and I know what my problems are. But it's this linear perception, this perception of past, present, and future, which God did not create and God knows nothing about, that this is like a perceptual nightmare. And it's a nightmare of parts, you know, six, seven billion human beings, no two people seeing the same world, no two people in complete agreement about anything. And even in that, in this world, we have words like reality. 
And sometimes people will say, well, this is my reality. And you have your reality, I have my reality. That's a common discussion. And that's the, f the first law of chaos, is that the reality is different for everyone. Jesus is saying, this is chaotic. This is, you'll never have peace if you think that they're separate realities. We have an interesting thing happening in American politics now where a new phrase has come into the political dialogue. It's called alternative facts. When people don't agree with something, they say, well, actually, here are the alternative facts, which is really a joke because it's, they aren't facts at all. They're like opinions. If everybody would say, well, there's many, here's some alternative opinions, that would be a little more accurate. But alternative facts is like saying there isn't anything factual. And if you go deep enough, you can start to see that there really isn't anything factual about perception. Perception is the realm, it's the domain of the ego. It's, it's the domain of consciousness we talked about. There's never going to be consistency. You will never find what we call a fact in form. Because form was made to cover over the truth. I remember two years ago I had a group of students and we were reading through the course and we came across a point in the course that said, no one can be angry at a fact. And then there was a big discussion that arose. Because nobody, they said, David, what, what does that even mean? No one can be angry at a fact. And I said, well, it's true. You, can't, you can never be angry at a fact. And they said, can you give us an example of a fact? I said, well, God is a fact and Christ is a fact. And no one can be angry at a fact. If you know the fact of what reality is, there is no anger. Anger always arises from a misperception, from a misinterpretation. Anger arises from fiction. And there's a big discussion in this world about what is fact and what is fiction. There could be a lot of debate around that. Some of you know that uh, if you're brand new to the Course, you may not know, but uh, some of you know of the book, The Disappearance of the Universe. So, I think some of you, I don't know, Fernanda, you're brand new. Have you ever heard of it? It's, a, it's just a, no, it's a, it's a book. It was a book that a friend of mine received when... Uh, as the story goes, when he was uh, in Maine, two ascended masters came to his couch. One male ascended master, one female ascended master, and they sat on his couch and they gave him this book. He spoke it to him and he recorded it and so forth. And, uh, and then as time went on, there was a little bit of a controversy, like, did it really happen? And some said, well, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a, this is a literary device and he's using it to explain the teachings using a literary device and, and it's not literal. And others said, oh no, it's, it's literal. They really appeared and there came a bit of a controversy. And controversy is directly associated with hypotheticals. 
Because what I was sharing with you that everything of the past and everything of the future are hypotheticals. Which means that everything of this world is actually fiction. And understanding this relieves your mind of the pressure of trying to figure out what happened and what didn't happen. It takes you beyond the perspective of trying to get it historically right to being right-minded and seeing that it's all fiction. So there was a time when uh, Gary and I were going to meet in uh, Hawaii and we bent and we sat side by side and did a gathering and I knew the topic would eventually come up uh, because you have a group of people, they're all curious and then finally the question came, did Artin and Persa really come <laughs> and sit on your couch in Maine? And so I thought, what a wonderful opportunity this is for me to talk about hypotheticals. <laughs> and so I went and spent about 15 minutes explaining that everything that's in time and space is generated by the ego. And you can't draw a dividing line between imaginary and fact or what happened and what didn't happen. You can't really draw a dividing line between fairy tales and what people call actual life because they're all images. They're all projections. They're all devices that the Holy Spirit can use, but they're all the same. And so it was a pretty thorough 15 minutes about this question has an assumption underneath it. And the assumption is something that we have to look at, which is the difference between did it happen or didn't it happen? Uh, this is an assumption that's behind every court battle, you know. If somebody's guilty or innocent, did they do it or did they not do it? Some people remember O.J. Simpson. Did he do it? The whole nation is held captive. The white Bronco the chase on TV, the police chasing this Bronco on the highway, and then O.J., O.J., he's a famous football player. <laughs> O.J. comes out, and then the big trial was, did O.J. do it, or didn't he do it? Recently, Bill Cosby, a comedian, brought to trial, mistrial, tried again, did he do it, did he not do it? This is like a key ego question because to the ego, on that question rests guilt or innocence. And even within A Course in Miracles community, a lot of people that were angry, uh, they were saying, this is terrible. You can't, you can't write a fictitious book and then claim that it happened. <laughs> And so there was a, quite a controversy. I remember I did my 15-minute spiel uh, to my effort to dispel the question. And at the end, uh, Gary took the mic and he looked into the camera and he said, Just for the record, it happened. <laughs> but, but the joy, the joy of freeing your mind of all types of debates... Because Jesus never tells us to enter into a debate. 
He doesn't tell us. He's not telling us, become a good Course in Miracles debater, you know, like a debating team, so you can win the debates against the Christians or against... No, he's not. He never suggests that. The, the beauty of it is, is coming to a state of mind where you don't have to challenge a brother. You don't have to confront a brother. You don't have to argue with a brother, with a sister. Imagine being in a state of mind where there was, you never saw a reason to argue. That would be that state we were talking about today with no, beyond the hypothetical. Because you aren't trying to push across a point of view. You're not trying to win an, an, a point of view or an argument. You're, you're in a state of mind that transcends all arguments, all debates, all opinions. Jesus goes on to say that uh, even though this is a world of the ego, of, of need, of lack, he says at one point, when you need anything from a brother, you will see him as a brother no more. Just the experience of need arising in consciousness is coming from this hypothetical split of cause and effect, of subject-object. And when you need something of a brother, you will see him as a brother no longer. So this is why going for spiritual enlightenment means you have to transcend all beliefs of the ego. You have to transcend the beliefs in economics. And the Spirit is very playful with you. The Spirit can be very, very playful with things like money and resources because the Spirit is lightly, humorously teaching you, don't be so serious about this. Don't take it so heavy-hearted. Don't have an investment in it. When I would travel around the country, Jesus was always giving me playful little experiments. Uh, like for example, when you go to a lot of different restaurants, you, you know, I wasn't going in there and pretending like people should give me free meals and I am on the Lord, I'm working for the Lord, I'm living on divine providence. I would like a Big Mac, french fries and a Coke for free. No, you don't, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. What it is, is you still use what the mind believes in, but it's all for loosening from the belief in lack, in control. You just flow within the quantum experience that everything is handled. Occasionally, people quite often did offer me things. Have a meal. Stay here with me in my, on my couch. You know, do you need gasoline for your car? I would just be talking and quite frequently there was a lot of generosity coming. It was really Jesus just handling the logistics of time and space and I had to kind of get used to that at first because it was very strange to have people offering things and I was refusing them. But actually I do remember one of the things that was very playful was how when you go through a grocery store line or a restaurant or whatever and you pay for your meal, occasionally the change that you're received is not accurate. You either 
get too much or too little back. And so Jesus would playfully say, I want you to practice just accepting everything exactly as it is. I want you to let go of this idea that you could be cheated or that you could cheat somebody else. And I'd say, oh, that's a pretty big one. And he'd say, well, let's we'll smart, start small. And I would go and occasionally go into these restaurants and then I would, I would always, always carefully watch and count how much change. You know, I was trained to, you know, it's money, you got to be... And then I would practice in the joy of the encounter, not caring, not even caring about the amount that was returned. And then later on, I could look at it, and if it was more or less than I was supposed to receive, it was all part of this divine acceptance. Don't try to correct the picture on the screen. Correct your mind. Come back and live with me in purpose. Live with me in joy and happiness and trust that everything is working out perfectly is part of this divine thing. That way you'll get out of this habit of going and saying, you, you wronged me, I'm, I'm sorry, this is not right. Uh, but be in the state of mind that everyone is right because everyone is the Christ. And all this stuff that seems to be form stuff is just a swirl of images. Don't, don't get into contesting. If people threaten you, if people demand things from you, you know, join in love. Uh, when I would travel, another thing that was common was going and being taken into so many people's houses. And um, sometimes they would ask me what i like to eat, but a lot of times they would just, would you like to eat with us? Thank you, yes I would. And then they would go in the kitchen and work and serve the meal. And this is where Jesus got into practicing with eat whatever is served. Do not analyze the food. Do not filter it out according to your ego preferences. Do not tell the host, I'm sorry, I can't eat this. No, please hold this. No, oh, please. Just, and especially in those situations where not only do they put the food out, but they serve you a plate of food and it's right in front of you. And when you travel to South America, all the different continents, you there's lots of different types of food. That was a good practice. For me, that was a practice in join with your brother and sister in the love of the moment. Join in the instant that you are sharing together. And do not put anything between your connection with your brother, with your sister. And it started off with eat whatever is served, and then it's extended to accept what is offered. And what I found with that was that people have such a sense of generosity, but sometimes they, that generosity is associated with gifts of form. So if they would say, please accept this gift, please accept my uh, ride to the airport, please accept, you know, there were lots of things that started to be offered. Unusual amount for me, I wasn't used to that. And Jesus was just, accept it. Again, it wasn't based on the form, it was based on the joy. Stay in the joy of acceptance. 
And if there is anything like like a need to be at the airport at a certain time or whatever, I will tell you if you need to speak up and say, oh, I think we better go to the airport now <laughs> in the middle of the festive meal or whatever. Like if there's anything that you need to know, if there's anything that's helpful, I will give it to you. But get into the habit of being in such harmony with your brothers and sisters that you're there just watching and connecting and joining and feeling the love there. And so to me, these are practical ways of, of being in the moment. You know, there's lots of little things that the Spirit will prompt you to do to, to draw you in to the holy instant. Another thing was, as the Course says, if, if somebody asks you to do something outrageous, do it. Because you're basically there to join and connect, and he does qualify that a hundred pages later, said, if somebody asks you for something outrageous, do it, as long as it doesn't bring harm to yourself or anyone else. That's a pretty early teaching in the Course, and what he's doing is he's trying to loosen that sense of the pride of being a person that decides what it likes and what it doesn't like. It's, it's, like a, it's like an addiction with like and dislike. It's like an addiction. In the early days of Facebook, some of you remember. <laughs> thumbs up, thumbs down. And the ego likes being the one that makes, pulls the trigger, pulls the strings on that. Try to go beyond this addiction with like and dislike. Give it over to the Holy Spirit and ask more, what would you have me say? What would you have me do? Get into the habit of asking. Not to make it obsessive, but just get into the habit of leaning into that presence and letting that presence just extend through you very, very naturally. Practice it over and over and over. So this is what we want to do with the session this afternoon. We want to take that experience of opening to be shown that the past and the future are not worth obsessing about, not worth putting your attention in. Opening to guidance is worth putting <laughs> your attention in because those that guidance will still be hypothetical. There will still be instructions. Go here, go there, do this, do that. You know, that still is hypothetical, but it's taking you in the right direction. And above all, it's like it's undoing this fixed belief in that there's a, an actual split in perception in the world of form when the split is not in the world of form. The split is in consciousness. The split is in the mind. And the most basic split that I'm talking about there is the belief that your identity is you're a perceiver, which is what the body or person is, and that there's a perceptual world outside that's being perceived by the five senses. That there's an objective world outside of this Perceiver. Perceived. Perceiver. 
observed observer. That's like the basic fundamental error is that the split is, is in the form. And it's not so. Everything, as we said, is all mind. Everything is all mind. And you practice this one encounter at a time, one opportunity at a time. You practice letting go of the investment that there's an external world that's impacting on you. One experiment we could do, I know Lisa might be able to share a little more about her headless experience, but uh, she had a, a very, very powerful headless experience. But if we think, I'll come at it, start off with quantum. If you think that, that you're perceiving the world through the senses and then the body is representing the five senses, what Jesus tells us is that, and Einstein and a lot of great scientists are saying the same thing, is everything of time and space are all relative. It's all subjective, it's all relative, it's all based on beliefs and, and preferences. And in fact, that's probably the greatest finding of, of quantum physics, is that there is no objective world apart from the perceiver, apart from consciousness. All of science, as we've known it, Newtonian science, is that there's an experimenter, right, and an experiment. And you don't want the experimenter influencing the experiment. We have double blind, we have all these different techniques to make sure that the experiment is as objective as possible so that we can empirically collect the data in the scientific method and learn and study from the, the data of all the sense perceptions. And then the experimenter is just the one who's conducting the experiment. But you don't want the preferences and the prejudices <laughs> and the opinions of the experimenter influencing the experiment, or that ruins the experiment. Well, what was discovered in quantum physics is you cannot separate the experimenter from the experiment. That even in, when they were researching subatomic particles, the tiniest particles they could find, that what they discovered was that the particles showed up where the experimenter wanted them to show up and expected them to show up. That, that even in the smallest pieces of the material world, subatomic particles were influenced by the experimenter. Findings, what does it mean? There's no objective world that can be experimented on that everything through human perception is all subjective. There is no actual, absolute, objective reality. And then you get the great thinkers like Einstein, and Einstein was one, he's one of the first ones that I was aware that he said, um, he made a statement, time is not an absolute. What does that mean, time is not an absolute? He was saying one second is not one second anywhere in the comp he was saying that like one second in brazil was different than one second in the united states on surface it can be like well, einstein's just wrong you know it's an hour is an hour a day is a day a week is a week it doesn't matter where you are or it doesn't matter 
you know, you could be flying in a jet plane or you could be here. Most people believe that if you went off to other planets on the moon, one second would still be one second. One second on the moon is one second on Earth. Actually, time is relative and time is tied into gravity. And so the gravity on the moon <laughs> is not the same as the gravity on Earth. And the gravity, when you get closer to black holes, the gravity is really different. So what we consider seconds and minutes and days and weeks is very different. I mean, not just a little different, but immensely different. Also, it's also, gravity is tied in there and also, uh, like speed, they, they have run a, an experiment when they had a, took an atomic clock, an accurate clock, and they put one on Earth and they flew one in a supersonic jet around the planet, on this planet. And then they took the atomic clock, the two identical clocks with the same time, flew one around the planet, one sat on the Earth, and then they put them side by side. Guess what? The time was different. Even on this, because of the gravitational things. So, he was basically saying time and space are relative. They are not absolute. And then, if you say that time and space are not absolute, you know then the whole cosmos is what? Relative. And it fits in with what we're talking about, that all perceptions are hypothetical and everything is influenced by what you believe. And the ego is the belief in separation from God, so it's the belief in variation and substitution. So the whole cosmos is projected from the ego, so there's nothing absolute about this world. There's nothing consistent about this world, not absolutely consistent, and that what you perceive as the world is simply your own individualized perception of hell. Because if heaven is oneness, <laughs> fragmentation is hell. Not a fiery burning hell, <laughs> just a, a fragmented perception hell. And what it means, I'm leading into the headless, uh, what it means is that I remember uh, I would like go to Europe and I'd be sitting with a group in Europe and they talking and and they would say one time I was talking with them and I was getting into the spirit and they were saying well how how is your life in America I said America what's that I said America America where you live I said, that's a concept. A concept? I have friends in America. And you're saying America's a concept. I said, yeah, it's, and so are your friends. The, if you, if you, if you follow what this I'm teaching here is, is that time and space are the same illusion and the closer you perceive something, an object or an image, the closer to the projector. Obviously the mind is the projector, but you remember how I said the eyes are little projectors and the ears are little speakers? 
I, I would say Angie is maybe nine feet away. Angie is nine feet away from me. I wouldn't say Angie is point oh four milliseconds away from me. That we don't talk that. We say come closer, come a few feet closer, or step back a few feet. But we don't describe things that are close to the projector in terms of time. We describe them in terms of space. So many feet away, or so many meters away, you know. And what Jesus says, if you follow him, he's saying that the farther, let's say we're talking about Frank's house, Casa Quantico, the farther it gets away from the projector, you start to describe it. You can describe it in terms of time, like, oh, that's 10 minutes away. Or you could describe it in terms of miles or kilometers. But then, if we said, like, uh, the United States, how many, or Australia, how many hours away is Australia? Or how many miles or kilometers, You've, the closer it is, you start to think of it in terms of space. The farther it gets away, you start to think of it in terms of time. And then when we talk about like, like stars, you know, stars are burning gases that have already burned out, but their light is coming and reaching us. We describe the distance towards stars, not in terms of miles, because there'd be too many zeros, <laughs> There, we talk about light years, you see? And then, beyond the projection of the cosmos, so many light years away, or like in the Passengers movie, you know, how many years, you know, are we talking to this galaxy or to this far off planet? The farther it gets away from the projector, you begin to describe it exclusively in terms of time. You lose the space thing. Like if I said, uh, well, Cleopatra is six million miles away. People would go, are we talking Cleopatra? No, she's dead. She's been dead for many years. You see, we could describe how many years away in history Cleopatra, but we don't think of Cleopatra in terms of space. But time and space are the same illusion. We just describe it in human terms. The farther away it is, we describe it exclusively in time terms. And the closer it comes, you know, I don't say, how far is the microphone from my nose? How, how much time <laughs> is between my nose and the microphone? Maybe we could say like three inches, but nobody would say, oh, that's so many uh, seconds, point oh zero zero one seconds. You see, it's too, it's too close to the projector. But what I'm doing is I'm explaining that you can start to think of your experiment of coming into the here and now is, like I was doing in Europe that time, that, that you can start to think, if you find your mind going off to these hypotheticals, oh, 
I've got so many more days here, down here in Mexico. Then I've got to go home to so-and-so situations, people, a husband in Utah, uh, a mother in, was it Veracruz? You know, when you start to find your mind drifting off to that, you can start to zoom in and say, what I perceive is the whole cosmos, and, and the whole cosmos is my mind. So those start to become more obviously hypothetical thoughts. And what I mean by hypothetical is like, like for example, you came here to be free of the problems and struggles. And you say one of the problems is the dealings with my mother. But, but the mother thought is an attempt to remove the problem of the ego and project it out into something in time and space and say this hypothetical see in Veracruz I've got an issue in Veracruz you don't you don't have an issue in Veracruz the only issue you could ever have has to be faced right now because that's the only time we can block the joy and the happiness and peace is right now we we can't continue to project it off and take it away into circumstances and situations as if we could solve the problem like, wow, if I resolve my problem in Veracruz, then I'm going to be home free. I'll be really happy if I could solve that Veracruz problem. It's no different than saying I have a health issue to solve or I have a financial crisis to solve or I'm unhappy with this uh, drug war that's going on in such and such a country or I'm I'm I've been watching the World Cup soccer scores and I'm un upset <laughs> with some of the scores that I'm reading in the World Cup ticker tape or whatever as if is it Russia this year over in Russia then it's if there's a problem going on in Russia and Jesus is saying no 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 it's it is not what you think it is the problems are not what you think they are which leads into headlessness. Because <laughs> Lisa explored, <laughs> Lisa decided to go headless. What about, uh, what about the spiritual problems? Because, because I'm realizing that, well, I don't have a problem with my mother, but now I, I have the thought crossing my mind that I have a spiritual problem because you said before that We, the only thing we need is the willingness. And then the, the, the job is made uh, from the Holy Spirit. But I am thinking, but I'm not, I, don't, I don't think I have the, the enough willingness to, in order that the Holy Spirit do help me. So it's like I have now another problem without solution. The requirement is that I am willingness in order to be helped by the Holy Spirit, but I don't have that willingness, so the Holy Spirit cannot help me. So I'm in another problem, but it must be wrong what I'm perceiving because I'm already because the goal is the same and the the goal we, we already have been awakened or something like that. Yeah. So I, this is perfect. This I is a perfect, perfect lead into what Lisa is going to talk about ah. because, 
Because thank you. <laughs> thank you. Because actually, when you go headless, you you realize the problems. Even the willingness thing, you can say you are willing. I don't feel that way. I feel you have willingness. I really do. I I don't I think you have that. I don't I don't agree that you don't have that. I think you do. And then and then imagine you just said, "Well, okay then, it, whatever. Maybe I have a small willingness, but micro uh, micro willingness. But what if I take my micro willingness and I say to Lisa, "I will give you my micro willingness to be headless." Um whatever that means. Uh I I, I want to see I have no spiritual problems and and so she's going to give her micro willingness to be headless and you're going to to share with look at that smile on that face <laughs> you see that you, the more you talk about it the more I go ah see I can see the face Actually. but Lisa can't Lisa can't Lisa doesn't I don't see my own face. She you doesn't. See we all see face. her face, but she. I can't she see my face. She can't see her face. She's looking you at you. You can't see your face. We're, she's looking out, but she can't see a face. You can't see anybody. So you, you're you can never see anything but what's appearing in your own mind. It's all just appearing in your own mind. There is nothing outside of yourself. This is what you must ultimately understand. That it's all appearing in your consciousness. So it's like you think you've like separated and become a human and you are a girl and you have whatever you're doing. It's like you've just identified with this separate self when actually nothing is going on. You're just walking through your own mind, your own preferences, your own attachments, your own desire to be special your own it's just all just like a play that you're playing this part you made it all up and this is a direct experience it's always present it's never not here we we get lost in time and we're trying to maintain concepts and maintain relationships maintain images but nothing actually is going on it's just right here it's always empty it's all it's always the holy instant it's never not here that is so quantum that is so quantum because if, if there's no just perceiver, appearing. if there's no separate perceiver if she's saying it's just it's all perception and there's no perceiver then it's just a trick to think that that you've had a body. <laughs> I am, I am a projection, but also. M but you're not a projection. I am not a projection. This image is just appearing in your consciousness. Okay. The body is is a, pro a you, We are not a body. Yes. We are not free. You. We are still as God created me. That's a lesson. He, I think he does that lesson ten times, doesn't he? Yeah, lots. Yes. I am a spirit. You can see that's the end of hypotheticals. So if, the, the spirit is talking right now. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> that's it. Thank you, that's Jesus. It. This is a miracle. Actually. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> we saw in her face the, pro- the problem had disappeared. That little minuscule bit of willingness. Boom. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. It, it is amazing to get a, away from that idea of thinking that, that you are, there's an individual perceiver, a personal perceiver. It's not the case. It's artificial. That's what headlessness is about. It's like, and then people join from around the world and go, they come together, we're headless. And oh, are they happy. The headless unite. <laughs> Yeah, but it's much deeper than it that. It is. It's a lot it deeper than that. That's because what I see. It's because continuous. That's nothing to do. Yeah, because it's about mind training, too. It's a desire. We get what we want. Jesus says everything that's happening to you is because you want it. So it's, he says desire the holy instant above all else. Desire the truth above all else. We're getting it because we desire it. So what do you, do you want happiness? Really? I mean, honestly? Because if you really want to be happy, you're going to have to see that you're wrong about everything. Because nothing's really going on. But your desire to be right, your desire to maintain a separate self, your desire, you know, not to, like, what I saw for myself was like, I had to be, and that's not just once, it's a, it's a rebirth continuously, and it's the mind training of A Course in Miracles for me. Like, it isn't just headlessness. I feel so grateful because I see that it's just, you know, the practice of forgiveness and mind training. Like, what do you really want? And there has to be this full commitment to remember who you are. That's what I have seen for myself. I just want to know who I am. That's all I want. When you realize the most valuable thing, <clears throat> and that's what I feel like the gift of the Course in Miracles is, it's profound actually. He says you're sorting out what's valuable and valueless all the time. And you're getting what you want all the time. Nothing's happening but because I decide that I want it so. And also I saw just even myself how I actually, how deep this goes, my desire to be a victim of this world. <laughs> But I'm not a victim of anything. It's it's still this desire to be separate and be away from God. And God is always with us. And to remember God and to be willing to let go of every idea that you think is right or wrong or good or bad. And it's forgiveness. And I feel like it's headless, but it isn't. It's deeper. It's way deeper. It's so much deeper because it's a continuation. It's eternal. It's infinite. It's 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 boundless. It's it's who we are. It's opening to and we talk about it all the time. New ideas. I want to open up to new ideas. I want to let go, forgive, not hold on to any concept or any relationship even. My relationships are always new. Even though we live together, it's always new and fresh. Always new and fresh. I'm always meeting myself over and over again. We all are. We just get, we got caught in a dream. We separated off. We dropped off into this self-concept as a human being 
thinking we're a person, thinking that we separated from God, thinking that we're alone and separate. But nothing actually is going on. It's like the experience of, I don't know, some of you remember, I think it was back in the 60s where I first heard the phrase, go with the flow. It's like, well, that sounds really good. Go with the flow. What is the flow? I want to go with the flow. What is the flow? Flow is fluent. Flow is, it's, what? Adaptable. Adaptable. Flow, I think of it, the divine flow is like bliss. And go with the flow means go with, go into the bliss. Or Joseph Campbell said, follow your bliss. And it was like, wow, that sounds cool too. Follow your bliss? My parents never told me to follow your bliss. But this guy, Joseph Campbell, I like, I, I'm going to read more of his books. He says, follow your bliss. Did you hear that, Mom? He said, follow your bliss. I'm going to follow my bliss. Well, well, another thing is, in A Course in Miracles, Jesus says, miracles are natural. When they do not occur, something has gone wrong. Isn't that a flip from what we were raised with? Miracles are like supernatural, and they're very rare. You know, parting the Red Sea and walking on water, and Jesus did miracles. And there's miracles here in India, they said, and this, but you know, they're rare. Guadalupe did miracles, but for most people, miracles are like, no. You, but he's saying they're natural. We even have a friend, a realtor friend of ours, that, uh, Lupita, that uh, she's been raised in Catholicism, and uh, she's and her husband were trying for how many years to have a child? Twelve, Twelve years. Twelve years to have a child. And Lisa's with her one day in this joyful flow and basically saying, uh, says to the realtor, Lupita, expect miracles. Expect miracles every day. Lupita well, well, she's asking me about our life. I said, well, we just live, we expect miracles every day. She goes, you expect miracles every day? I said, yeah. It's like a strange idea. And she said, I never heard anybody say that. She said, expecting miracles? She said, and that's how you live? I said, every day. I said, that's all we do. I said, we live, you know, we're entitled to miracles, Lapita, I said. I said, we're, she goes, I'm entitled to miracles? And she's like, that's a miracle. Like, that could be true. That's a miracle. But and then what well, she had been saying to me yeah. before that because I asked her if she had any children, she said no. You know, I don't have any kids. Trying for twelve years with Cesar. Twelve years. As her husband Cesar. Yeah. And then before we know it, she's pregnant. <laughs> I meet her it, after a couple months. After she goes, Lisa, twelve it's years, it's a miracle. <laughs> it's just I said, a, ref- oh, Lupita, a reflection. It's yeah, it's like a reflection, and. And not only are miracles natural, when they do not occur, something's gone wrong, but Jesus uses a very interesting word with miracles. He says, miracles are involuntary. Now think of it, when you go through life, you know, like when you're, for instance, when you're in university, there's electives and then there's requirements. The classes that you have to take, and then the electives. Some are voluntary, and some are not. Some are required. Well, the ones that are not required, or the ones that are not set, are the 
are like involuntary. And that's how we're supposed to experience the miracles. He says miracles are involuntary. They should not be under conscious control. Whoa. Not under conscious control. Well, that takes all the pressure off of the personality trying to be a miracle worker. Well, if they're not under conscious control, how do they happen? Jesus says, I will direct all miracles. All of them. Jesus will direct all miracles. It's a big job. Seven billion people. Oh, I'll direct all of them. I will, I will, I inspire, I, I will perform the miracles through you if you are willing. If you are willing. You don't, well, what do I have to do to be ready? Nothing. He's saying, right now. I'm ready right now. You have a question? Yes. Bueno, pero los milagros he comprendido que es mi corrección de mi percepción, no en la no en la forma. So I understand miracles is um, okay. que el milagro es la corrección de mi percepción, yeah. no en la forma. That the miracle is the correction it's, in the perception, it's not the form. Is it working? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. O sea que cuando se Cuando se da un milagro, no, no es en la forma. So o sea, no, hay, no cambia nada en la forma, sino es mi percepción. So, when there's a miracle, nothing changes in the form, in perception. What changes is my perception, right? Well, Jesus says that he will arrange time and space for the miracle worker. So, that means that your focus is on your purpose, in your mind. And then, if there is a behavioral component, like an action required, he will handle that too. So, imagine your body is like a puppet. And you join with the Spirit for the miracle. He will not only bring the miracle through, which is the happiness and joy, but he will take care of the, if there's something to be said or done, he will do that too. The spirit will speak through the puppet, or hug through the puppet, or laugh through the puppet. In other words, there, you, you aren't personally responsible for anything being a certain way in form. What you want to do is learn to accept all things exactly as they are. So you're not trying to, you have no motive to change the form. And even if you're a miracle worker and you pray, pray with somebody who needs a healing, they say, I need to be healed. I have cancer. Or uh, I have... Uh, a disease, and they come to you and says, please pray with me, that the correction occurs in the mind. And you are not to judge the form in any way. Whether the symptoms stay or leave, your focus is not to be on the form. Because every miracle that is offered is received 
but you can't judge it based on on the form. So when we say the corrections in the mind, the correction is coming back to this present moment. That's what the correction is. Without any expectations for the future to be different, for the form to change. Now, there can be reflections. Um, for example, uh, there was a young mystic um, from India. I showed the movie, Mystic India. Was he about 11, yeah. 11 years old? He was an 11-year-old boy. And he read the ancient Vedanta scriptures very, very deeply. He was very devoted. 11-year-old boy. And then one day he announced to his mother and his father, his brothers and sisters, to the whole village, basically uh, he told his family, uh, now it's time for me to go. He retired at 11 years old. And uh, while they were sleeping at night, he walked out of the house and he went over to the Ganges River and he jumped in. Because he didn't want to leave any footprints, he didn't want to be found. He was in a state of mind where he no longer needed the concept of family or village. He he was in a state of mind where he could just jump into the river. And it was a strong river too. The Ganges River is not just like a stream. It's a powerful river in the rainy season. He jumps in and he gets carried many miles away and he never goes back. He ends up sleeping, was he sleeping with a tiger <laughs> in the jungle? He ends up traveling all over India and teaching and he becomes known as one of the most famous uh, teachers in all of India based on his fearlessness and his presence of divine love. And it's a beautiful movie because his circumstances do seem to change from family life to a wandering <laughs> young mystic, the way it would look in the world. But the key thing is, is, it's the state of mind. It's like, if your mind is devoted, then in perception, whatever you perceive is going to be part of the, that mind. It's, it's not, there's no uh, story that's out. The story just kind of points to the state of mind. 